Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightnin, and I'm here with the Smashing Pumpkins song, Zero. Today our guest is Pastor Benjamin Foxen. Uh, it just so happens that he's my brother-in-law, but uh, more importantly, he is a missionary. He's had experience doing mission work in Russia. Uh, he's just finished uh, his time of service in Arizona, and uh, he's moving on to do mission work now in Africa. So welcome, Ben. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for the invite. So let's start, Ben, uh, since we've had a lot of Jeremy's relatives on as guests. and Because the thing is, is I get my friends and Jeremy's relatives, because I think he and his wife, Abby, are related to like a third of the synod. Yeah, sounds about right. Okay. And... Uh, so what was what was ministry like in Russia? Where were you and so forth? Because that was right out of the seminary. That was right out of the seminary, yeah. Um, well, let's see. At the time, we had two kids, my wife and I, wife Becky, and we moved over there. We went to Novosibirsk, which is, if, if you're looking at a map of Russia, it's about dead center of the country um, from east to west and a little south of central Near the near the border, there's a little tip of China that comes up and touches touches Russia there. Um, so that's where we lived for six years, and uh, uh, my ministry there was um, pastoral in nature. Did a lot of work with the congregations that we had there, um, preaching and teaching, and also did um, a lot of outreach work using English. So we we started up English clubs in various cities and then invited people to come and learn English with us and and we taught them them the Bible in English. That was our method of um combining the two, you know, the English to to have the draw there and um and the Bible as well, which you know, that was actually a pretty big draw for them too because one thing about the Russian people we learned is just that they love to learn. That's just a uh, uh, part of their nature. If there's something they don't know about and they have a chance to learn about it, chances are they will come to learn about it. So a lot of people enjoy just learning about the Bible because uh, they hadn't read it before. So it, it was a, a neat time of life and, and we loved it there in spite of the the dark and the cold that, you know, was a real thing too. But yeah, Novosibirsk means New Siberia, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's considered the capital of Siberia, you know, if that were a, a province of Russia. So, yeah. So a question I have for you, obviously I understand that it's the calling of the Holy Spirit, but why you, out of the seminary, a brand new guy to go to Novosibirsk? No, because did, you, did yeah. you know any Russian or anything? No, 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 did not know any Russian at the time. Um, probably, probably the human factor involved there was that my wife and I had taken a year. Uh, I took a year out of SEM, and right after she graduated from Martin Luther College, we got married, and then we went to the Czech Republic. We volunteered there for a year in Pilsen at an ELS mission there, um, Martin Luther School, and I did a little teaching of the, there were two vicars there, so I taught a little language, um, Greek and Hebrew, to them. And then also taught in the school, taught some religion classes. Becky taught second grade, did a lot with English there as well. But that, you know, it's just kind of close enough to Russia there. It's still considered Western Europe, but it's like on the very edge. Um, And 
I think that kind of prepped us a little bit as far as, you know, letting other people know we had an interest in that kind of a thing and um, exposed us a little bit to uh, that kind of a culture, that Slavic culture. Um, and the, the Czech Republic had been, you know, under communism for, for a time as well. So there is there are some similarities there. And I think maybe that was part of the reason why people when looked I, at us. When I was at the seminary in Leipzig, the there was a student at the seminary with me that uh, was from Russia. His name was Yevgeny. And uh, we visited that Martin Luther School and the, the church and the, the ELS mission in uh, Pilsen. And he would talk about being Russian himself when we were walking the streets or, you know, stopping at a, a restaurant or something. He would say, I can pretty well understand the la- It's a totally different language, Russian and Czech. Czech but, yeah. he's, but he said, it's very, it's so similar that I can pick up quite a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So for our listeners, Ben, what is ministry like for us, uh, for Lutherans in Russia, and Novosibirsk, and so forth? Well, it's changed a lot now, um, especially with all the recent events. Uh, um, we After we left, we left in 2016, there was one other American missionary still on the field with his family, um, Luke Wolfgram, and they've been there oh, over 20 years now. I think they got there in 1997. And uh, after after we left the field, one of the reasons for, for us leaving was we had national pastors stepping up and starting to do the work. So so the work was changing for us, and that was a good thing. That was that was the goal. That's what we wanted. Uh, and they were taking over that congregational ministry. Um, we had two two national pastors right there in Novosibirsk. There was another in um, Sevastopol over in Crimea that had joined the Russian Lutheran Church after Russia annexed uh, that, that peninsula there from Ukraine. And so so they were doing the day-to-day ministry, and it was more, the missionaries were doing more of the oversight, the mentoring. Um, and so that's what what Luke has been continuing to do. Of course, now they've, they've been pulled out. Uh, they're now located in Albania, um, while we see how everything out out there plays out, but uh, the the Russians are are still doing the work that um, that they've been called to do, and and that's an awesome thing. I think God, you know, in spite of all the the horrible things that that are are happening, and and certainly not just in Ukraine, but also in Russia, because there's a lot of hardship on the Russians too that I think maybe we we overlook because they're the aggressors in this war. But um, what I, what I think I've heard is that they don't even. Uh, have a they're they're being fed a lot of pro- the common people are being fed a lot of propaganda, and then they're being surprised to find out that uh, oh actually we are on the aggressive on the offensive here and and there's no real good reason for it. Yeah, and I I, I don't know I, I do know that you know what they see what they get is what what Russian TV shows them right, which is state controlled media. Um, I don't I don't know how um, well. The, they always are able to get around that. I know the younger ones, you know, if they can get access to VPNs and stuff, they can see news from around the world and, and get a wider picture that way. Um, but I know they're all being affected 
you know, economically and, and everything. And, and that's a, it's a tougher time for them. So, yeah. And that's one of the things I don't know if our American population understand because we just are ruled by emotions nowadays instead of by common sense. And when you're talking about the Russian people who have nothing to do with the war with Ukraine, and then our American companies try virtue signaling like McDonald's or closing all of their restaurants in, in Russia, Netflix not allowing any of their programming in Russia, whatever else is going on, that doesn't, that doesn't affect any of the leaders that only affects the common people, and the common people have nothing to do with this. Yeah, they suffer because of the decisions their leaders make. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. So, yeah, maybe just a reminder to all your listeners to, you know, as we pray certainly for Ukraine and the people there, don't forget to pray for the, the Russians as well because they're, they're struggling with this too, I think. And um, and our, our goal is certainly to keep on spreading the gospel there too. So remember the... Our, our brothers and sisters over there, especially. Right. Yeah. Again, the way our American public, you know, we think of how people started getting tired of COVID and they realized, yeah, maybe the, the legacy media we have in our nation isn't quite telling us the truth on this. And then kind of when we were winding down with COVID, then the war with Ukraine and Russia started. And then all of a sudden everyone's believing everything that's coming out from the media. Understanding that, like you said, Ben, uh, the Russian, they have their own media, then they're, they're going to do disinformation, uh, and Ukraine's going to have propaganda, our own media is going to have propaganda. So it isn't cut and dry, I don't think, that Russia's the bad guy necessarily and Ukraine's the good guy. It's war. There's a lot of bad guys on both sides. Yeah, I, I think that's a wise way to look at it, good perspective. So uh, what can you tell us is the biggest takeaway from your time doing parish ministry in Arizona. Oh, well, yeah, that's a total, total shift. Um, it's been a wonderful time there too. I think one of the big things that I was blessed and privileged to be a part of there was, um, a Lutheran elementary school and, um, even got to, to lead it for a few years while we were without a principal. And that taught me a lot. It was, wasn't easy. It was definitely a challenging time, but, um, certainly I was blessed through it. And, and I, I pray the the school and church were, were blessed through my efforts there too. Um, it was neat to work as part of a larger team. You know, we had the whole faculty and a, another pastor, I had an associate there and, um, great people, um, loved working with them. And, uh, just a, a great congregation all around the people are so supportive and you know it's my the only congregation I've had stateside so it's I don't have much to compare it to but just from um, things that I've I've heard from others I feel like it was kind of a unique place and just a very um, active you know a lot of the members wanting to be involved and in doing things and um, just a, a real great place to be so appreciate my time and where was that I was um, in Peoria, Arizona, across the glory, Lutheran Church. Not, pretty much right by Phoenix, right? Yeah, northwestern suburb of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, I actually was holding a call at one point to Paradise Valley. and my, Becky still holds that against you. I, and I just want to point out now <laughs> that I didn't take that call, and if I had, uh, th- there would be now, 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 you would be going to Africa, and we would be there in Paradise Valley. And then you could hold something against us. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well. And how, and how close were those two? 
Paradise Valley uh, was like maybe half hour. Oh wow, at the most. Yeah, yeah. I I remember when I, I was in Kentucky and I got a call to Appleton, which is where my wife's family is originally from. Both her parents grew up in Appleton area, and Shelley's mom. Uh, said, well, you need to take this call, and then we're going to move back to Appleton. And I said, no, we're not going to Appleton. <laughs> not that we don't want to live that close. I mean, where we live uh, from my parents and her parents are an hour to my parents, an hour and a half to her parents. That's that's a good enough distance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, what made you want to pursue the mission called to Africa? Yeah, uh, that's that's a really good question. I've, I've just always had a heart for mission work and, um, and people in my previous congregation will tell me and did tell me, well, there's plenty of mission work to do right here. You can satisfy that itch here. And, and that's true to an extent too. I I guess as I, as I weighed the two calls that I had, um, I just saw a lot of humanly speaking, a lot of potential to reach just a lot of people this way because of what I'm being asked to do, uh, which is essentially teaching teaching other teachers of God's word um, and, and equipping them to go out and reach other people and gather groups of Christians around themselves and around God's word and sacraments. So so that, that really excited me about it, just the, the uh, um, specifics of what I was being asked to do. And I'm, I've always been interested in, in other cultures and seeing how people live in different parts of the world. And so I've, I've just got a natural natural itch that way. To, Which to go is kind of see. what you've been training even before you were ordained when you went and uh, worked at the ELS seminary in Pilsen. And then in Russia, that's kind of your wheelhouse is training up other leaders, training up uh indigenous pastors and things like that i yeah i mean in in russia i didn't do so much of the teaching there of 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 the leaders there it was more just congregational ministry and we had we had visiting professors that would come over to do like seminary level training for those guys who were training to be pastors um but there was some i mean there was like we would you know you would get together every week to go over sermon studies and stuff like that so there was kind of a mentoring uh, more than an active teaching in Russia for me. Uh, but I do enjoy teaching and, um, that's something, something I, i I think I'm relatively gifted at if I can say that with some modesty. Um, and so I, I enjoy, you know, being able to put gifts to use. So yeah, definitely. And what you were saying, Jeremy is of, um, you know, Ben kind of being trained in this. And when you said that, I was thinking of, you know, I have a heart for missions too. And in fact, two weeks ago, I, I went back online and I went to the Wells Cloud and I put on, uh, or I updated my call information and I mm. put in there, uh, probably, and this is for the district presidents, and I said, it's probably not a good time for me to hold a call since I'm covering a vacancy in my own congregation. But I said, if I do get a call, I would like one back into the mission field. Because uh, when I, uh, the summer before we got married, I did uh, summer vicaring down in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Alpharetta, Georgia, and uh, in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and then vicared down in Georgia, in Lawrenceville, for a pastor who ended up becoming 
the mission counselor for the Southeast Wisconsin District and a few other districts, then getting assigned to a mission field in uh, Radcliffe, Kentucky, an exploratory mission, and then, uh, you know, everything I've done here has kind of been around mission work. So, yeah, you kind of, guy kind of leads you in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So, how many kids do you have, Ben? I have four kids. And how old are they? Um, my oldest, Levi, he's our, our one and only son. Uh, he is, well, let me get it right, 14. Um, and then we've got our three girls, Kiersey, who's just about to turn 12 here in July, end of July. Then Katya, she's six, and um, she was our Russian-born baby. Oh, oh, and he would really appreciate your youngest child's name. Oh, yeah, and our youngest, her name is Leia. There you go. There you go. Yep, yep. So, uh, and she is three. And, well, where are you going specifically in Africa? Because we're talking Africa. That's a big continent. That is a big continent, yes. We're, we're going to be based in Lusaka, Zambia. So Lusaka is the capital city uh, of Zambia. And I say based because that's where we'll live, but my role will have me traveling to a number of other countries to do this and um, how do teaching you, work. How do you... I, I'm going to guess Becky's all on board with this from where the different places you've been. But how do your kids feel about going, going there? They're they're definitely um, they're excited, and I think as the as you go older with the kids, there's also a certain you know it's kind of a measured excitement. Or um, you know, I can say you know our son, his preference would have been to stay here in the states. I mean, he just finished grade school. He was looking forward to joining some friends um, in high school at uh, Arizona Lutheran Academy. So he's a little bummed that he's not getting to do that. We kind of made a, a deal with him. Let's try this, you know, to have the experience for a year. We can always revisit what you're doing for high school, but but come come along and do this and so that you get to uh, see what it's like. Um, and, and then we'll talk about it more. So so he, he, he was kind of the least optimistic about it all, but but now, you know, that the decision's made and everything, I mean, he's excited to get there, too, and see what it's like, um, and then possibly, you know, eventually get back here and, and have some American high school years as well. So we'll see how that goes. Would but he, everyone else, yeah, pretty Would he pretty good. probably go to Luther Prep? Or? Yeah, th- I think that option's on the table. We've got either that or Arizona Lutheran Academy still is an option. We had a family there, close friends of ours, who, who offered to host, so... Um, they, they'd be willing to just, you know, take him in as an additional child, essentially. Okay. (laughs) So we'll see how, how it all goes. All right. We have some, uh, relatives of, I'm sorry, we have listeners who are relatives of your, uh, congregation down there in Arizona. Is that right? The, the Patterson family. Oh, well, they're, they're the hosts. They're the ones who have offered to host. Oh, Okay. Well, yeah, you're, they're the re- they're relatives of those Pattersons. Yep. They're the ones who offered. Yeah, well, I figure when you have relatives, you know, you have enough relatives all over the Senate, don't you? Oh, me? Yeah. yeah, I guess so. But I'm not the. I'm. I guess I'm just pointing out. I'm not the only one who has a lot of Wells relatives. Okay. Well, that's Patterson yeah. family. I I should just point out one of our most beloved teachers that you and I have had uh, made the comment one time that. The old Wells family tree doesn't branch out very far. Yeah. <laughs> I always say that I married into your family as uh, a power play to you know, <laughs> get more relations in the synod because 
my dad was Catholic, so before he he switched over to Lutheran after marrying my mom, so I don't have any connections on his side and few on my mom's side. But <laughs> did you ever have a at at North? Was it be Northwestern? Did you ever have a, a Professor Schumann? I did not. Okay. No, you would have been before. Yeah. Okay. He, that was my great grandpa who taught at the college. So that was many, many years ago. All right. You want to get into uh, the scripture readings, Jeremy? Sure. The gospel this Sunday is from John chapter 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before he dies, and uh, I'll start with verse 12 of Jesus talking in John 16. I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I said that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So Ben, what things did Jesus promise the Spirit would do when he would come? Well, he promised he was going to come and remind uh, his disciples of, of what Jesus did and said. Uh, he's going to guide you into all truth, it says there in verse 13. Um, and what comforting thing there, I mean, that the Holy Spirit's just going to keep on pointing us back to Jesus and, and what he did and said. That same teacher who said that about the Wells family tree before, he was, uh, I remember him talking one time about how uh, there was a faculty member at Northwestern College with him who said, I want to do a chapel series on the Holy Spirit, the forgotten member of the Trinity. And uh, our professor discouraged him and said, uh, I, don't, I don't think that'll go very far because, it, and, he, and he found out when he tried to do it, uh, the more you talk about the Holy Spirit, the, the more you end up talking about Jesus because the Holy Spirit just keeps pointing people to Jesus. Yeah, and that's what yeah. Jesus says, verse 15, everything, or 14, he will glorify me. You know, that's his job. And so it's it's okay to have the Holy Spirit kind of like the silent partner in a business. Is uh, that That's his role. So Jeremy, were the disciples ready for what lay ahead? Uh, clearly not, uh, since Jesus says that you cannot bear these things now. Uh, they needed to go through the experience of seeing him die and rise again. Uh, and once they had seen that happen, then they would have the confidence to be able to testify. And uh, that's that's what the Holy Spirit enabled them to do. Yeah, and even after, uh, or as Jesus is getting ready to uh, talk to his disciples the last time, as he's going to be then ascending into heaven, he, they're still thinking that it's a political kingdom. They still don't get it. Uh, after seeing him suffer and die and rise again, and now, well, they don't know the ascension's coming, but they still don't get it. They don't get it until the Holy Spirit comes. So then, Ben, why is it essential that the Holy Spirit would guide the disciples to know this truth? Because it's a it's a truth that can't be found on our own. Right. I mean, these are things that only God can reveal to us. And 
without God's help in, in that and guiding us, which is exactly, you know, the Holy Spirit's work as it's described here, um, we'd just be totally lost, right? So we'll go searching for all kinds of things. We, we, we can search out God, right? I mean, and we hear that in Acts too, right? So that's uh, the whole reason God gave us some knowledge about himself from creation or our conscience is so that we can seek him out, but, but we're going to keep coming up with the wrong answers unless we get to hear from God himself what the real answer is. It kind of reminds me of what you were just saying about the Russian people that they're there's you didn't use this they word, but they're knowledge. They're curious. They're, yeah. they're just seeking and looking and interested to learn new things. Uh, but without the Holy spirit, they're only ever going to be finding the wrong answers. Mm-hmm. And you teach acts at Shoreland, right? Wouldn't, and you know, we were talking about the Holy Spirit kind of being the silent partner in this, but couldn't you say that the book of Acts is really the Holy Spirit's work or book because he's the one that's moving everyone around and speaking through the apostles and so forth? And even stopping yeah. the apostles. You know, at certain points he was saying, nope, don't go into that area to do mission work or, you know, it, the Spirit of Jesus prohibited them from entering a certain region. Um, yeah, very much the, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is shown throughout Acts. And with that, that was a text from the last Sunday of Easter where the Holy Spirit stops Paul and his missionary team from going into Asia and then Bithynia, but going into Macedonia. And I think of that, too, with what you were saying, Ben, is we might wonder why would the Holy Spirit stop you, know, you would laugh, but Pastor Wolfgram's work in Nova Zabirsk, because it's obviously needed, but he has to get out for his and his family's safety, and yet the Holy Spirit has a plan. Yeah, isn't that wild to think about? I mean, we we, well, we look at back at, at Acts and we see, oh yeah, we see how this all worked out, and we you know we've got that benefit of of hindsights now. And but you know when we think about our current day to day situation, whether it's you know overseas somewhere or whether it's some effort that maybe your congregation is trying to do, like oh we we think this door is open and and then maybe it you know gets slammed in your faces or something, and you just wonder well you know what's going on and but the Holy Spirit's got a plan. He's he's working this out and um and it's it's a marvelous plan and we we can trust him and and the work that he's doing through us. Is, we our our job is to be faithful, right, and to continue to. Uh, share the word so the Holy Spirit can continue to point people to Jesus. Well, the last question I had for you guys on this, we kind of talked about, but see if you want to bring anything up on this, is that the Spirit's goal is not to bring attention to himself. So what is his ultimate goal? Uh, like Ben mentioned, but, or no, you mentioned, Michael, uh, about uh, verse 14, to glorify Jesus and t- take take from what is Jesus's and declare it. Uh, and and I think it goes back to the discussion we had last week about Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit is breath. It is what we are doing right now. We are talking. We are passing air th- over our vocal cords, and people are listening. And that's spirit. That's breath. Uh, it is the way that God works by communicating verbally. So this is the gospel lesson for this Sunday with being Trinity Sunday. So... Ben, why do you think this gospel lesson is chosen? Oh, see, I, I was, was just... actually going to, I, I was going to throw that question to you. Yes, because <laughs> a little faster. I was just thinking about it actually yeah. as Jeremy was talking. I was like, yeah, and we shouldn't miss the Trinitarian connections here. I mean, it mentions 
each person of the Trinity. Jesus is speaking, right? He talks about the Holy Spirit and what he's going to do, pointing to Jesus, and he says, he makes the connection of the Father. Everything that's mine um, it is also the Father's, right? Um, and so, so that it's tying all three of them together in this marvelous work of testifying to the truth of of Scripture and and God's plan for for us. And that's what exactly would have would have said, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Except I would have added that we learn the counsel of God from the Spirit. Hmm. I- I want to go a little theology geek on you, if I can. Can I can I geek out a little bit on yeah. theology? Um, so I think both of you would know, but maybe many of our listeners wouldn't. What I'm talking about when I say filioque? Do you know Do you know filioque? It's been a long time since I studied that. Okay, so this is what separates us from the Greek Orthodox. If you ever, and we actually have quite a few uh, Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox in this region, don't we? We have a Greek Orthodox church just on the road from us. Okay, and, and uh, one of the one of the con, uh, converts I had uh, a couple of years ago uh, was from the Greek Orthodox Church. Well. If you ever wonder what is the what is the big difference between Lutheranism and Greek Orthodox, I'm sure there are many things, but one of the biggest ones is filioque, and filioque means and the Son. Uh, and so, if you would ever listen to the Nicene Creed in an Eastern Orthodox church, when we get to the part where we say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, they would not say that. They would say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. And then they'd move on to the next line of the creed, uh, and and the reason being that they they would say this is you can't find a, a part in the Bible where it says the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son. Uh, well, actually, this reading gives us a great example of one that the Holy Spirit proceeds also from the Son. Uh, and I wonder if you can figure out which verse I'm I'm looking at there for uh, that that the Holy Spirit also proceeds from Jesus as well as from God the Father. Well, verse 15 saying, everything the Father has is mine. That might be one thing. I mean, if the Father is sending the Holy Spirit, that belongs also to the Son, uh, and he is sending the Holy Spirit too then. Yeah, yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. That is, that is a truly amazing thing that Jesus says. Everything that the Father has is mine. Like we can't, as sinful humans, we can't say that. But as God the Son, Jesus can say, I am equal with the Father. I, so the Holy Spirit proceeds from me. Uh, and, and everything that you can say about the Father, you can, uh, all of the attributes that the Father has, the Son also has. Well, that leads me to this question. I want you guys, since it is Trinity Sunday, what are some bad analogies hmm. that you've heard? Because obviously you wouldn't have used them, but bad analogies you've heard other pastors or people use to describe the doctrine of the Trinity. Finally, aren't they all bad? I mean, <laughs> that's, well, where, yeah. that's where I'll start, I guess, because... It, there's nothing that's going to fully um, encapsulate, you know, in some kind of metaphor or analogy, what the Trinity is. Um, uh, okay, I'll, I'll throw out some analogies, and you guys can tell me why they're wrong. How about water? Is that water can be, you know, three different forms of vapor and liquid and solid. So what's wrong with that? Uh, 
the persons are distinct. So it's it's not the father showing up in solid form and in liquid form when the 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 spirit and the son are mentioned or at work and it's not the it's not the spirit that shows up in solid or or liquid form when we talk about or or see the work of the father and the son um because that would be like because you and i were talking about this the other day that would be like uh, the Wonder Twins and the Super Friends. How the the guy in the Super Friends. You how he fit could it in. You found a way to fit it in. <laughs> how he could become all different forms of water. He said, "This is going to come up in the podcast." It was his wife. He told his wife, "I'm going to get this into the podcast." Yes. The Wonder Twins. The Wonder Twins. Because he didn't know who go. he didn't know who the Wonder do you, Twins. Do you know? I don't know who the oh. Wonder Twins are. I've heard of the Super Friends. Yeah, yeah. So they had the Wonder Twins, and they would a brother and sister. They would click the rings together and say uh, wonder twin powers activate and then the boy would become some kind of form of water it was kind of a lame thing and then his sister could become any kind of animal so and then he became water gleek the monkey would get a bucket and he'd jump in the bucket as water and then his sister would fly him around as an eagle okay (laughs) all right uh how about this one ben the sun where you got the star, so you got the form and the gas, and then you've got light and heat. So gas, light, and heat. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I suppose in that analogy, they're saying the sun is the father, right? And then Jesus and the spirit are, I don't know, either either of the other two. I, I guess it breaks down with uh, eternity. I mean, it, without the sun, there can be no father or spirit. Um, and then... Uh, I'm sorry, without the the sun as a heavenly body, right? There's no S-U-N. heat or light. <laughs> yes, thank you. And so, um, but the sun and the S-O-N and the Holy Spirit are also eternal. So, I mean, they've, they've all existed together from eternity, no beginning. So, so we can't talk about them as like being generated at a certain point in time. Yeah, and this would be Arianism. Right. This is this is why I like the fact that so often the uh, passage from Isaiah six is chosen for Trinity Sunday, holy, 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 and everybody thinks it's it's the triple holy that is what makes it so relevant for Trinity Sunday, and that certainly has something to do with it, I'm sure. But I I look at it more as the word holy means no comparison. Throughout the rest of the Isaiah's prophecy, he's constantly God is constantly saying, "To whom will you compare me? Who is like me?" And that's really what an analogy is. An analogy is a comparison, and that's why it goes. It comes back to what you said before, Ben, that uh, pretty much every analogy is going to go wrong somehow. It's going to fall short. Did Did you have the apple on there? Yep. That wasn't going to be another one. But I just wanted to follow up with the Arianism thing, where the Arianism is with this of the sun, S-U-N, and you've got the heat and light coming from it, Arianism would be that the sun and the spirit came from the Father as opposed to them all being equal. So go ahead and talk about the apple. Uh, Well, there's even uh, children's books out there, and I think they've even been published by Lutheran publishing houses uh, where it, it compares the Trinity to an apple that there's one apple, but there's the seeds and the meat of the apple and the skin on the outside of the apple. And uh, all of that 
it, it sounds good and well that there's there's one apple but three parts but that's really the problem then is parts the you cannot talk about parts of god the the father and the son and the spirit are not th- each one third of god they're not three parts of god they are you you need to you need to be able to say the core is the whole apple and the meat is the whole apple and the skin is also the whole apple and that just doesn't work in our physical world and it would also tie in to voltron of course it does <laughs> do, you, do you guys know who Vol, what voltron is is it, this is the avengers no it's Vol, like a power rangers type thing isn't it's it? five lion robots oh my goodness that, that joined together to to form a giant samurai robot this is this is all straight out of the Lutheran satire video, it is. isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I just sent, uh, I sent the link for that uh, Lutheran satire video right to my tech lady for Bible study on Sunday morning. Yeah, but but Voltron is, it, I grew up watching it. It's a uh, Chinese TV show cartoon that they brought over and then put American voices in. They redid it a couple of years ago on Netflix, but... Uh, it's five robots that are lions, and they formed, they joined together to form a giant samurai robot. But that whole partialism, again, whether it's an egg and three different parts of an egg, or an apple, uh, or a three-leaf clover, uh, all of those kinds of things. Or, you know, I've heard it before too of, you know, some of my students try and describe the Trinity to me of, well, it's. My dad, he's a guy, so he's a husband, a father, and then a soldier. But no, that's just one guy trying to do three different things. Yeah. So there is there is one analogy that doesn't limp though. I I've I've picked this up uh, in the prepared to answer books, the apologetics books. Um, try to think. Uh, let me see if I can get this right. Try to think. Uh, imagine that you live in a two-dimensional world and uh, that somebody comes from a three-dimensional world and says, did you know there's a third dimension? And that is, uh, that, that's, that's the, a, a good way to understand the Trinity. It is, it is simply something that does not apply in our physical realm, uh, but uh, it would be kind of like a bunch of people living in a two-dimensional world trying to wrap their minds around a third dimension. It, it actually exists, but it just uh, is not something that we can comprehend Brand, yeah. logically. And this goes back to what you had said earlier, Jeremy, about uh, when I talk to people and they go, whether it's teens in catechism class or adults in the adult confirmation class, and we talk about the Trinity and they go, no, I don't get it. And they get frustrated. And I tell them, well, why would you want to worship someone or something that you can understand? If you can wrap your head around it, then you don't need to worship it. But if you can't understand it, then that's above you and it's greater than you. And if you, if you don't understand it, then you've got it right. Yeah. Yeah. And so just for our listeners, because we'll be using the Athanasian Creed in our churches. So I just wanted to read a little bit of the Athanasian Creed to kind of clear our minds of those bad analogies 
We worship one God in three persons and three persons in one God without mixing the persons or dividing the divine being. For each person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is distinct, but the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one equal in glory and co-eternal in majesty. Anything else you guys want to bring up with the gospel lesson? All right, let's, let's get into the epistle lesson from Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope for the glory of God. Not only this, but we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces patient endurance, and patient endurance produces tested character, and tested character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured, in, poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Ben, what is justification and how can justification create peace in our hearts? So that's one of those awesome words we have in Scripture. It's, a, it's like a legal kind of term. Uh, picture a courtroom, you know, you've got the person on trial there, you've got the judge. Like, like um, Johnny Depp. And, exactly, yeah, and, everyone's and following that, yeah. been following that trial, right? So so justification is what happens when uh, the verdict is passed and the person who's being accused is declared not guilty. Um, and what's really interesting about it, I, I love this part of it, it, it doesn't matter what the truth of it really is. I mean, the person on the who's being accused might really be guilty, right? I mean, um, someone, you know, on in a murder trial or something, I mean, maybe they really did it, but if the evidence isn't, you know, given to convict that person and the verdict ends up coming down not guilty, well, that person's going to walk and not have to worry about the punishment for, for what happened. Uh, and that, of course, is would be a sad thing. But in our case, uh, in this spiritual um, reality, it's really good for us because we're the ones on the stand. We're the accused. We really are guilty. We've done all kinds of horrible things to merit God's wrath and condemnation. We sin every day in thought, word, and deed. Um, and yet God comes back with this verdict. He says, not guilty. And that's what justification is. And it's only due to... Jesus Christ and what he did with his life and his death on the cross, living, living perfectly, fulfilling God's law, and then paying the, uh, the penalty that our sins deserved. That's why God can say, you on the stand are not guilty. And then, Jeremy, how does that justification create peace in our hearts? Well, we would constantly be worried. We'd be uh, worrying ourselves into... Uh, all sorts of anxious knots if we thought that we might be guilty or we we are guilty uh how can i make this right how can i and that's what people do that's the our worldly religion is justifying yourself finding a way to explain away your guilt uh and once you have god telling you in his divine courtroom you are declared not guilty in christ then uh that that brings wonderful peace of mind. And I use this verse uh, twice this week, yesterday and today, with devotions over the phone. That one of our members was going in Thursday for another cancer surgery, and then 
I called one of our ladies today that she had fallen and broken her uh, her right arm and shoulder. And then when she got up and she kind of felt dizzy, kind of sat down. When she got up again, then she fell on the same arm again and broke it again. Uh, but I use that same uh, same same text for both of them that because they are justified, now they have peace with God. No matter how their cancer surgery cancer surgery turns out, no matter how uh, this woman in a sling, who thankfully doesn't have to have surgery, but she's not gonna. She's probably in her seventies or eighties, and she's not really looking forward to the physical therapy. You know, none of us do. But when you're older, especially not, and yet. To let them know, well, you're already declared innocent and you have peace. And both of them, they were at peace no matter how things turn out. And that's like, that's something only we as Christians can have. So, Ben, this seems really weird when Paul writes this, that he rejoices confidently in suffering. So why would Christians rejoice in our sufferings? I think it's it's because of the, you know, the wider perspective that Christians have. Uh, They know their status before God. They know what is coming for them in the end. You know, we we have heaven that we're looking forward to, eternal life, and an end to all suffering and all all pain and and evil and sin. Uh, And and that just gives us a wider perspective on the things of this world. So, yeah, there's going to be suffering in this world because it's a sinful world. It's it's broken. and uh, as we live through those things, though, we also have this confidence that, that God is always with us, that he's already passed his verdict, that Jesus has, has already lived the perfect life and, and paid the penalty for us so that we have this, this peaceful um, standing before God. And uh, so whatever happens to us, it's, it's, it's not going to change that. Uh, and it, the only thing it's going to do, in fact, is going to lead us back to our gracious God who has given all these promises to us and never breaks his promises. And uh, it's going to serve then to strengthen us instead of weaken us. So so we rejoice. So, Jeremy, if you are ministering to someone, whether it's a teenager or an older adult who is going through some suffering, how would you use this verse of uh, three and following we rejoice in our sufferings because the suffering produces patient endurance. Patient endurance produces tested character, and character produces hope. Well, one thing that keeps people going is a positive mindset, and uh, I think people realize that, too, if you say that it's all about how you you frame things. It's all about your outlook on life, uh, and wouldn't it be better to have a hopeful attitude as you as you face your problems day to day and i think most people would agree young people elderly people uh so then the question becomes well how do you get hope how do you get a positive outlook on life and that only happens when you have gone through this whole process uh that that you just read from verses three and following uh you can't have hope a hopeful outlook unless you first go through suffering, which produces patient endurance, and then your patient endurance produces tested character, and tested character produces hope. So uh, to really shorten and oversimplify it, uh, do you want a positive outlook on life? Answer, yes. Uh, How do you get that? Through suffering. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, and I think for the three of us to think of the 
the people in our pews that we've ministered to over the years and you know, the, the leaders in the congregation, the ones that people look up to and follow, aren't those often the ones that have gone through suffering? You may not know it, uh, and a lot of people probably don't know, and some people don't don't share that. Think of, uh, well, I, I think of my grandfather or some of the last funerals I've had of World War II veterans. A lot of those guys don't talk about those things. I've ministered to plenty of soldiers that fought in Vietnam or Korea or in Afghanistan. They don't talk about those things. But you know they went through suffering. And they may still suffer some suffering through their PTSD. And yet they're just quiet leaders because of what they've gone through. And people pick up on that. And that only com- and they're only leaders with that hopeful attitude because of, like you said, Jeremy, the, the suffering in the past. Anything else you guys want to bring up with this epistle lesson? It just kind of made me think of, uh, Ben, as you're going to a foreign mission field in Africa, uh, I've heard about this book. I haven't read it, but there, there's a book about the three ways that societies tend to build themselves around uh, of different cultures. And uh, they're, they're the dynamics of, um, I want to get this right, shame versus honor and uh Guilt versus innocence, and uh, fear versus strength, and in in a first world country like America, probably one of our strongest languages that would speak to us is guilt versus innocence. Are are you guilty or are you not guilty? Uh, but a lot of other cultures, they may not relate as much to that. And particularly, I'm thinking of a lot of African or tribal cultures. Uh, relate more to strength versus fear. Are you are you weak or, or fearful, or are you strong and powerful? Uh, and then another uh, style would be the honor versus shame. Uh, and uh, in, in a lot of cultures, that's that's the dynamic. Does that sound familiar? Have you read that book? I've not read that book, but I've I've heard the. About the things you're you're talking about there, yeah, um, and yeah, definitely. That's just one of the things that makes culture so interesting because everybody focuses on these different different aspects. And yeah, the people in Africa, it'll be interesting to see for myself what it's like there. But I I have heard uh, from others definitely of the the shame and honor aspect there, and uh, the strength and fear. Yeah, probably that that plays out too. That makes sense to me with their tribal tribalism and everything that's going on there so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out the neat thing is that the gospel hits every one of those jesus right? jesus talks about he shows strength versus fear and he shows honor versus shame uh, so even like justification here would be a good example of the guilt versus innocence uh, but even if that doesn't relate to you jesus relates to you in other ways through Shame versus honor, or exactly, yeah, yeah. He he speaks to everybody, you know, every culture of the world. I mean, no, everyone finds uh, something in there that a way that Jesus or the Spirit um, uh, speaks to them in a way that they can understand it, so that they too can have the salvation that He brings. All right, we have some time yet. If you want to get into the into the Old Testament lesson for the Sunday, uh, Numbers chapter twenty, Numbers chapter six. 
The Lord told Moses to speak to Aaron and to his sons and to tell them to bless the Israelites with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. In this way they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So did it take me eight and a half seconds to read that? Yeah, so Jeremy's talking about my sermon theme for this Sunday on this text is a lot can happen in eight and a half seconds. And I'm going to explain, you know, some bad things that happen in eight and a half seconds, some good things that can happen in eight and a half seconds. And then I explain, you know, a, a pastor can read the benediction at the end of worship in about eight and a half seconds. Now, I know I say a lot faster, but but for uh, taking the average of slow talkers with me. And uh, so let's just look at these phrases of what is happening, because I think, because we've heard these so many times, uh, I think I did, I did the math that for me in 25 years in the ministry, I have spoken this at least 4,000 times on a Sunday. And our people, if they listen to, if they're in church, say every Sunday, that's 50 times a year. Uh, on a Sunday morning, and then multiply that to how many years you've been coming to church. And what happens when you hear something so often, you just don't hear it anymore. You take it for granted uh, that you're you're thinking, all right, finally the service is almost over. All you have to do is say amen, and then sing a hymn, and then get some announcements, get some Kringle and coffee, and I can leave. All right. Uh, So let's look at what is the phrase the Lord bless you and keep you mean, Ben. Well, that word bless is, uh, you know, speaking, speaking good things. Um, so he, he speaks well of us. He brings us, ble- um, I'm going to use the word blessings. He brings us good things. Uh, he's told us what's waiting for us. So uh, he, he, he gives us all kinds of things in this world. He's given us all kinds of things for the life to come as well. So, and, and, and keeping us, he's, he preserves our lives. He gives us what we need to to uh, survive, not just survive, but even thrive in this world. Yeah, and not just physical blessings, but spiritual blessings. Right. So, Jeremy, what does the phrase, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you mean? I, I thought of um, Jesus looking at Peter after he denied him. It is... Uh, both law and gospel, I think a lot of times we think it, it was like a glare or some kind of a, a told-you-so kind of a look. But the fact is, uh, if you disdain people, you want to talk back, uh, go back again about those uh, honor versus shame cultures, uh, what is it that you do with people that you disdain? You don't want to look at them. You want to look away from them or avoid eye contact. Uh, and this here is saying, uh, God is turning his face toward you and being gracious to you. Uh, this is a good thing. God is looking at you. He is uh, making a face-to-face contact with you. And uh, that's also how God talked about Moses, I think, in uh, the Old Testament. He said, uh, to all the other prophets, I, I speak in riddles and visions, but with Moses, I speak to him face-to-face. That's a high honor. Yeah, and... One of the ways I illustrate this in the sermon on Sunday is, you know, that all of us have been to enough sporting events where you've seen, uh, say, a young lady gets injured on the soccer field. And at first, you know, she's on on the ground and then the trainer comes out. 
Then if it's bad enough, then the coach comes out. And if it's really bad, then the parents come out. And the that soccer athlete, she's crying. Obviously, she's in pain. And then she sees her dad's face. You know, And just seeing her dad's face means everything's going to be all right. And we see God's face. And then everything's going to be all right because we see his face. And then that conveys grace. And then the Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. There I thought about how the Lord turned his back on his son on the cross as, God, as Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he turned his back on Jesus so that he could turn his face toward us. And so that means that now we have, uh, have his favor. And then that gives us peace. I don't know if you guys want to add anything more to that phrase. No? I don't think so. Yeah, I think you said it well, yeah. Okay. And then, Benson, are you going to be teaching Hebrew over in, uh, over in Africa? Not, that's not the, the plan to begin with. Okay. Who knows? But not to start. I, I think even those of us have, like myself, have a rudimentary grasp on Hebrew. What is the name Lord in all capital letters in our English Bibles mean for our, our listeners? means the God who, this is God's name to show that he is going to follow through on what he has said he's going to do. Uh, a lot of times I think we say it, it's the name Lord, all uppercase letters is the God of free and faithful grace. And that is true. But there are also a lot of times in the Old Testament where uh, he says, Lord, all uppercase letters, and it, it's a threat or a condemnation. Uh, and so really what they all have in common, whether it's the grace promises or the threat promises, is this is God's name for when he is going to follow through on what he has said he is going to do. I I am I is the Hebrew phrase that corresponds roughly to that. And it's kind of like, I, I will be around to, I, I am around right now, I was around in the past, and I will be around in the future to follow through on this, whether it's a threat or a, a gracious promise. And then for our listeners, too, to take notice of this, that the name the Lord is mentioned three times, but I didn't pick up on this. I think this is maybe the third or fourth time I've preached on this text over 25 years. And this is the first time in my study I really focused on the fact that the name Lord is mentioned three times, but you is mentioned six, as you is singular, that the Lord is speaking to you, even though there may be, say, 100, 150 people in the pews with you on Sunday when you hear the pastor speaking this benediction, when the Lord gives it to you, it's you singular in the Hebrew. It's as if you're the only one in the room, and that's important, that this is God's blessing to you. That as we... Oh, did you want to say something? I was just just to take... Double down on what you said. That's especially interesting because starting off, it said, here's how I want you to bless the people, right? So he's referring to the people as a group, but then you're right. Yeah, he, he, then he changes into the singular you. So he, he wanted to emphasize that. And, and as we're wrapping things up with Trinity Sunday, again, for our listeners, don't miss the fact that, because I think you'll, you'll, list, you'll focus on that you got to spend like four and a half minutes standing to say the Athanasian Creed this Sunday. But focus this Sunday, like every Sunday, that we begin the service by invoking the triune God's name. We begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That same triune God's name that was placed on you at your baptism 
is the same name you hear every Sunday in worship. And then you go home with the Lord's blessing on you singularly as you go home for the rest of the week. Anything else you guys want to bring up with the readings or Trinity Sunday? When do you leave, Ben? Oh, still kind of undecided. Probably, you know, somewhere mid-July or possibly into into August. Got to drill down the the final day. I did just get my work permit to go over there, so that was a big step in the process. Now we can figure out when it it makes sense to to depart and and arrive on the ground there. So, All right, so... Jeremy and I and our wives were together earlier this week, and I'm sure you figured this out too, Ben, that, you know, we, all of us, we marry above ourselves, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And, and our wives suggested that we should have a disclaimer on our podcast, right? So, so this is our disclaimer that, uh, that Jeremy and I and, and Ben and any of our guests, we're not speaking for water of life or Wisconsin Lutheran School, or Shoreland Lutheran High School, or for the Wells, or the Wells, or for our wives, or all of Jeremy's relatives in the Wells. <laughs> uh, this is just, you know, three guys talking theology together. So don't sue us. Yes, I think that's, that's a really, fair statement. <laughs> that's really the thing. Uh, so this is Michael Zarling with Ben Foxen and Lightning on Your Feet. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. 